And hello, everybody. It's Trish Carr with Women's Prosperity Network for another episode of Sister to Sister. It's conversations with my sisters, my friends of color, really getting down and dirty with what's it like to be a person of color in America. And um, I'm really excited about my guest today because she is an amazing woman. She is the best-selling author of the children's book, Carson Goes to School, and of the Carson Books series. She's a speaker, a business leader, and most important, a mother. And uh, let me show you, I have to show you this picture because she's so adorable. When uh, we were talking before we got together, look at this picture. You can see that, right? On the left, you'll see a picture of Rochelle. How old were you then? Oh man, maybe about four. Yeah, four years old in St. Louis, Missouri. Could you tell that St. Louis? Louis. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful, very cute picture. Adorable, adorable, adorable. So uh, Rochelle Merriweather is a woman who grew up in Memphis. You just saw a great little picture of her and uh, moved to St. Louis later on. And now she lives just outside Dallas. She left home at 17 and was the first in her family to graduate from college. And I love this. She never knew a no that she listened to. That's right. You go woman, you go woman. (laughs) So it's so great to have you with me, Rochelle. Thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you, Trish. Thank you for the warm and gracious welcome. And thank you, sister to sister family for being here. Please like and share. Uh, We definitely, this is something that's tremendous that Trish is doing is uh, spreading the word about uh, what's going on, what's been going on in the country with discrimination. And, um, you know, hopefully this will help uh, us create solutions. So thanks again for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And You know, when I first started the show, I I said this uh, when we first got started before I set the recording, you know, there was, I've been an activist my whole life. I've always been involved in civil rights, human rights, women's rights. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, last year when, after, I mean, it was, it happened over and over and over again. And George Floyd was the catalyst for Black Lives Matter actually taking to the streets And I felt like there was something I had to do to have conversation around this because, you know, we've got to talk to each other to understand. And that's it. I always want to seek to understand. So what better way to do that than talking to people who've experienced racism? And, you know, it's true, right? And, you know, I would get into, you know, we've all had Facebook conversations and arguments, right? So when it first happened, I would write things about white privilege and systemic racism, and actually people would push back. There's no such thing. What are you talking about? I work three jobs and I'm white. I'm like, nobody ever said you didn't work hard. I'm just saying that your skin color didn't add to it. So that's how I decided to do this was I was like, you know, you can argue all about concepts, the concept of white privilege, the concept of discrimination, the concept of systemic racism, but you can't argue with people's experiences. And when you were, you and I were talking, um, there were a couple things that came up around your experience. So where do you want to start? 
Okay. Actually, I'll start at the very, very beginning because my mother, uh, I actually grew up, I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. And my mother is a uh, darker skinned um, African-American, lovely woman, beautiful. And before I was even born, my mother made the decision to have me with a lighter skinned man so that I didn't have to actually, in her mind, go through some of the challenges that she had uh, gone through growing up. So that's actually, you know, race was a consideration from my conception. So you know, I was and, looking for a tall man and she was looking for a light skinned man. Gotcha. Right. Yeah, that yeah. was part of her criteria. Has to have a good sense of humor, has to have a job, light skin required. That right? is right. Well, that's an interesting decision that she made based on her own experience as a darker African-American woman. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it comes on both sides, you know, in the black community. And it's not talked about often how, you know, there are, you know, they used to have the, the, the sack, you know, the brown paper sack challenge, you know, in, in colleges or you know, who would date who, you know, you had people uh, from the black community even that, you know, wouldn't necessarily date someone that was darker than a paper sack. So in this country, we have deep rooted issues, you know, really on a lot in a lot of different areas. But yeah, from my conception, um, you know, today I did want to talk about um, being bust to school, mm -hmm. that was something that went on in St. Louis and it was called the DSEG program or the desegregation program. And what that was, um, was the thought behind it was to create opportunities for inner city youth with promise um, because of the failed um, educational system within the city, right. you know, and um, so they would, we would have to wake up early in the morning, uh, you know, a lot of days at 5 a.m. or so and get ready to get on buses, you know, by 6 a.m. or so. And you're how out. old now? You're like 10? I was in middle school when, when I did it, but they started all the way in elementary school, but mm -hmm. I began the program in middle school. Okay. So that's probably like 11, 12? Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. So every morning you'd have to get on the bus at 6 a.m., Mm -hmm. What time did you get home from school after you got dropped off? Like um, how long was your day? Yeah, um, I would say about four, four something. Wow. In, in the afternoon. Yeah, it's an all day, you know, journey for sure. Wow. So what was that experience life? I mean, I grew up in Brooklyn. Okay. There was busing, but not in my neighborhood. It wasn't anything that I experienced. I've heard stories. I've heard, you know, about all the things that happened or didn't happen. Like some neighborhoods, it was great. Some neighborhoods, it was rioting at times just to get started. But what was it like for you? Well, you know, in my family, it was talked of as an opportunity, you know, um, and so I was, I was actually excited about joining the program and the kids that participated actually became really close. You know, we, uh, you know, the time that we had to spend and share on the bus, um, right. you know, that was great. 
what I noticed is to me in some ways kind of a lack of community. Um, I had my 20 year reunion. I'm dating myself a little bit here, but I had my 20 year reunion about five years ago now. And it, I mean, it was okay. I mean, one of the things is that I left home at 17. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't maintain a lot of relationships. So it, it didn't feel as close as I've experienced with some of my friends that they've had going back to their class reunions. Um, because for one thing, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the same neighborhood with the kids that I went to school with. Yes. So it's, it's a different experience um, later on in life to come back and you already didn't grow up in the neighborhood and then to, to you know, bridge the gap and have these relationships. So it, it was a little weird. Yeah, I'm sure that was weird. What was it, uh, how integrated was the school? Like what was the percentage of black to white? Do you know, or can you give it a ballpark? Oh man, it was, it was probably 92 to 95% white. And, you know, the minorities made up the rest in between us. So Um, what was that like as a 12, 11, 12, 13 year old girl to be one of a small number of a minority in a white school? Yeah. And then, and also a, um, a wealthy school district at that. Ah, okay. So, I mean, in some ways you could feel somewhat inferior because you're looking at their clothes, um, you know, they're driving, you know, BMWs and, you know, Camaros and different things to school and you're getting, you know, on and off the bus. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of starts, starts you, looking in inward and feeling less than in certain ways. Yeah. I mean, the economic disparity is in your face every single day, every probably day. in the clothes you, you, everyone wore as well. Yeah, absolutely. Clothes. Um, you know, if they went off campus to eat, you know, we were pretty much, you know, stuck on campus to eat and, you know, they would go McDonald's or wherever they would go. They right. had the ability to go because they had, they had a car. So yeah. you auto- automatically, in some ways, feel fell to a, a different class, you know. Yeah. What was the interaction with the other kids? Did because you know, like tends to attract like. Mm-hmm. People who are the same tend to be gathered together. It's true across all races, all religions. What right. was your experience of that in school? Yeah, I mean. It wasn't, it was not, I'm not going to say it was horrible. There were definitely relationships that were built. Um, I took German actually from uh, uh, sixth grade on till the time I graduated. So that particular class, um, we really, you know, were close knit and really bonded. Um, And to this day, there are relationships that are still from, you know, just going through those classes. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I just directly felt like I couldn't form friendships or like it wasn't open. Right, you know, I was great. also on a, a palm squad for a while. So, um, Oh, I, I can know. see you now with the palms. <laughs> that's great. 
Let's go. Let's go. Yes. We're asking to do a cheer for us. <laughs> That's really great. What What would you say was the best part of the experience, and what was the most challenging of the experience? Well, actually, the oper- the the educational opportunity itself it it really was an opportunity. Um, it allowed for me to see that there is another side of of life, you know, and everyone isn't necessarily struggling. Um, you know, it's just, it's another side to life. And so, yeah, we, we were challenged more academically. Um, there were uh, greater opportunities such as, you know, we could play tennis or, you know, golf team and cross country, things of that nature that we may not have been exposed to with our neighborhood school. So, yeah, because your school had way more funding than your neighborhood schools. That's the reality yeah, of which it. Which is sad, yeah. Which is yeah. sad, which is still the case Yeah. today. You went to your 20-year reunion, here we are 20 years later, and those schools in the higher economic area as opposed to the lower, it's unbelievable disparity. So. Yeah, and you were, that is a, it's nice you see that as an as an opportunity. I'm sorry, what else did you say? I'm, I was saying in St. Louis, especially, they're closing so many of the inner city schools, and I believe at one point the government may have actually seized control of the school and the fund. You know, because I mean, it's it's really a problem there, and that's an example to me of systemic racism. Absolutely. You can't say it doesn't exist when one school district has no extracurricular activities like tennis and golf and the things you just mentioned. And the other school is trying to get computers or books. Yeah. 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 So you certainly lived it. And it's great that you see it as a, an opportunity for you on the other side of it. What would you say was the disadvantage or if there are any or the challenges that you found in it? Um, as I was stating earlier, I believe the huge economic disparities that, I mean, it was just inevitable. I mean, there was no way that we couldn't see it, but if, if there would have been a little bit more uh, settling of that issue, I don't know how you settle that or how you correct that because the opportunities just they just weren't this, you know, our opportunities weren't necessarily the same. Some people will say that they, they are, or they should have been, but when you're living it, um, you can see, you can see a difference, you know. Do you have brothers and sisters? Did they I do. Also? I have one younger. One younger. Sister. And did she also get bused to another school? Yes, she did. Did, what was her experience, if any, different than yours? Yeah, um, well, <laughs> in a way, I think that she integrated a little bit more with um, the students that went through school with her. Um, they had a, she, she's, she was a little bit more of a party person, so she would find ways to go off of campus with them and, you know, create friendships that way. I was just a little bit more disciplined in my studies. 
Awesome. Is your experience part of the reason you wrote Carson Goes to School? In certain ways, actually, it comes from his experience. Um, Carson Goes to School is based on my child um, with ADHD. And um, I've been fortunate enough to actually now live in a community that I was bused to, a, a similar community to what I was bused to. I actually live in the community. And um, he is an African-American boy. And the academics are superior. They're wonderful, um, the opportunities where we live. However, I did notice earlier on what appeared to be discrimination towards him as far as you know, the, the school to prison pipeline. Um, some of those challenges I had when he was in like the first grade and I had to address them with the principal at the school. What kinds of things would you talk about the school to prison pipeline? Just expand on that a little so okay. people will yeah. understand. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's statistically been proven that African-American children are normally disciplined at a higher rate than their, you know, white counterparts. And what I noticed at my son's school was that I was getting almost, they have what's called the school do, uh, dojo and it's an app and teachers communicate with parents using this app. And he had uh, his first grade teacher that I would constantly get notifications. At one point, um, school started at 7.50 in the morning. I received a notification at 7.52 in the morning. That's just how often I was getting these notifications. And I said to her, I said, has my son even had a chance to take his coat off? You know, school just started at 7.50. How am I getting this at 7.52? And so I did have to go to the principal's office and discuss these matters because up until that point, my son had been getting, you know, good reports from school mm -hmm. and it had, you know, he was a joy to be around, um, you know, was the discussion that I had with his teachers up to that point. And my son started school, he went to private preschool at three years old. So, um, getting this feedback from this teacher, you know, I'm just wondering. And so I start, started speaking to some other parents and, you know, they were like, yeah, you know, I get a lot, a lot of feedback from her. And, you know, we, like these kids, they went to school from kindergarten up, you know, together. Right. And they were saying that they hadn't experienced anything like it. And just talking amongst the parents, it just seemed to be a pattern that something just wasn't necessarily on the up and up with this particular teacher, so. So you yeah. saw a pattern of the black kids being called out. Yes. And it's not because they're more mischievous, it's simply, you know, it can't possibly be. I mean, fingers will point and say, well, they deserved it and they were doing it, but I just know from my own reality that that's not true and that's a, that's an, that's a, a, a bigotry that's so ingrained because of socialization as white. That's really what it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so. And, you know, my, my concern was like, you know, that I spoke with the principal. I'm like, look, I'm young and I'm raising a young African-American man, uh, male. Yes. I am 
my son, I'm not setting him up for failure. You know, we're going to work through this. We're going to come up with a solution because you're not going to ruin his record and have him on a behavior plan in the first grade. Yeah. You know, and I was just matter of fact about it. Good for you. Stand it up for your kid. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. That's, uh, that's interesting. That's another thing a white parent would never think about. Right. Why would my kid be targeted or pointed at or any of those things? Yeah. Really interesting. And then the other thing that you mentioned to me was when you were older and you were going to buy your first house, you ran into an issue that was apparently rooted in racism somehow. Mm -hmm. So what was that? Yeah. So um, I, at this point, I was a single parent and I went to purchase my first home. Um, I made newbie mistakes, but what I had done up to that point, I actually had almost an 800 credit score when I went to purchase this house. Who can so, I touch you? That's like a good credit <laughs> score. That's great. Oh yeah. And I was 25 and I built my oh. home from, uh, the ground up, as they say. So very, it was a proud moment for me. Uh, But what I come to realize years later was um, that um, I was taken advantage of. Um, I was set into a, you know, variable rate mortgage. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what happened was, of course, my rate continued to excel and go up and up and up to where I was forced to sell my home um, because I could I could know I couldn't afford the payments you know and um, that was a, a short sale so that went on my credit and it it impacted me for some years where my neighbors and some of them you know may have had questionable or less favorable credit than I had were put into fixed rate you know, 30 year mortgages. Yeah. I was actually part of a lawsuit and did recoup some of my money behind it. But yes, that was actually, you know, proven to have happened to me. And, you know, um, your principal, the amount you owed on your house went up. Like, you know, that's what happened in those days. I worked at Nancy Matthews. My sister had a title company then and we did real estate closings. Right. And uh, I have to say that I saw a lot of those. And I have to think, as you know, as you point this out and I think back, I think there were a a larger number of those to African-Americans now that you're talking about. And and it just came to me now. I just saw it. Mm -hmm. So I know everybody was taken advantage of back then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'll bet you if we looked at it, there's probably a higher stat for Mm African-Americans. So, yeah. So I get that, too. I get that, too. And the whole, you know, real estate, (laughs) you know, that is another area. Yeah. Real estate for years, you know, with redlining and and, uh, you know, pushing people out of their homes. It's that's a whole nother conversation. So. Thanks for, thank you for that. And thank you so much for sharing your story, Rochelle and, and Carson's story too, uh, because the more we can learn from each other, the better we are. In fact, there's a website called it's 1milliontruths.com all spelled out 1milliontruths.com. 
And I saw it on TV with the actor who is on This Is Us. I can't believe I can't believe I can't bring his name to my head right now. Um, and it is meant to be a testimony by people of color of what they've experienced. So I really urge people to just go there and look at the testimonies, look at what has happened to people, what they've experienced, and just put yourself in their shoes. That's it. That's all we have to do to get to open up each other and, and really come from our hearts rather than from our experiences as socialized white people. Because, you know, I grew up in a white neighborhood and yes, I grew up in Brooklyn. So where I went to school, I had, we were integrated. Uh, Puerto Ricans, actually, I think we had more Puerto Ricans than African-Americans where I went to school. But even so, I would go home to my white neighborhood, like you said, there was no socialization beyond going to school together. So the more we can come together and share our experiences, the more we learn from each other. Um, as we close out, Rochelle, is there anything you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Anything, suggestions, anything you'd like to say? Yes, absolutely. Um, just piggybacking on what you said, um, before you, you judge a person, you know, try to take a step back and sit for a moment and you know think about it's something like my grandmother used to say does it add value you know is it is it kind and you know just try to think about it from another point of view and uh, I think we would all be in a better place if we would do that yes yes does it add value is it kind Thank you, Rochelle Merriweather, for everything you do. Thank you for writing a book with a young African-American boy. You know, more, the more children's books we have with children of color, the more that people can see and acknowledge that we all want the same things. We want to be valued. We want to be heard. We want to be loved. That's it. So thank you so much for being with me. And thank you, everybody, for being with us this morning. Uh, as usual, you can always get a copy of this podcast on YouTube, on the Women's Prosperity Network channel, or you can go to womensprosperitynetwork.com and just click on the menu that says more and you'll find all of our recordings with all of my fabulous sisters and hearing their experiences. Thank you, everybody. Again, that's onemilliontruths.com. Check it out. Trish Carr, signing off. See you again next week. Bye. Bye-bye.